scripture here at the last minute, and I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit once again for the change. I will not be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians. I'll be just reading the Acts passage, and I'm going to go from uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through, let's call it verse 20, see how we feel. Listen now for a word from God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in another language as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're drunk off new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for today. Thank you for the sunshine, Lord. Thank you for a long weekend and a rest. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning and whatever word we would hear would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all ever, like, get into a place, a headspace, you see something, you hear about something, you talk to somebody, 
and, and you just sort of think at the end of it, you're like, ah, the world might be near the end. <laughs> you ever have that? Anyone willing to admit it? I see a couple tenuous hands going up. No one else? Just something happens and you're like, ah, oh, what has happened to this world? What happened to all of us? What, wh where are we going? What is the future going to look like? There's no way this can be good. I have those moments, maybe more than I'm willing to admit, but, um, and I think part of that is because I'm a, I'm a new father, and you just get, you just worry about your kids, and, and all of you that love anyone know this, or have kids or grandkids. I, I don't even know how you do it with grandkids, because, you know, the love you have for a child, and then when that child has a child, it's like, I, I just can't even imagine the stress, the love, the outpouring, all of it, but I, I, I had one of these moments recently, I was driving, and I, I came to this intersection, and, um, I was out, I think I was, I was near 12 or 13 mile, and, and it was this big, big intersection, and all the traffic is stopped, and the person in front of me, I'm, I'm one car near the front, the person in front of me, the very front of the line, rolls down their car window, and all of a sudden, all this trash just starts flying out the window, and like, it doesn't stop coming, you know, like, you think it's going to be one piece of trash? And then it's another, and then it's another, and then pretty soon I'm thinking, like, someone's going to have to call a dumpster to come down here and get all of this person's trash out of their car that they're putting in, like, like broke a bottle right on the side of the road as everyone's sitting in the traffic. And, I, and I'm, I'm, like, watching it happen, right? And I'm, I'm seething. <laughs> I'm, I'm so angry. And I just, you know, I want to I go, like, yell at the person. I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I want to tell them, hey, you're wrong for doing this. This is a sin. I, I don't know what I want. I just find myself thinking, we might be at the end here. It, it might be time for Jesus to come back now because this is <laughs> not a good situation, right? I think we all kind of encounter moments like that. And it might be, for you, it might not be something like litter. Maybe that doesn't bother you at all, and, and no, you know, no judgment in this space. Um, maybe for you, it's something else. I heard someone say the other day, I, I, I'm not going to remember who it was, and I, I tried to find it this morning, but if you know who said this quote, please tell me. But someone said something to the effect of, you know, one parent in the state of Florida and probably any other state, one parent, if they complain to a school district or a school board or something like that about poetry or someone's book or, you know, something that, that might be trying to influence our children a little too much. One parent complaining can have a single book banned from all the schools in a state or in a district. One. One. One mass shooting in a school doesn't change anything. And when I heard that, I, I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to go pray for Jesus to come back because we, we have lost our minds. This must be the end. This must be the moment that Jesus shows up and makes everything right and, and, and does away with all of the injustice. This must be the end. And finally, we'll get the change that we need. 
And I think sometimes when we get in those spaces, we can find ourselves praying for a certain kind of God. A certain kind of God to show up and to change everything, to do away with the evil, to almost enact a kind of holy violence on the world so that things can turn out the way that we think they should turn out. The way they should be. In our story for today, I think Peter is actually at the end here. <laughs> I think he might be praying for Jesus to come back quick. In fact, I, I, there's a lot of scholarship around the fact that the early disciples believed the world was going to end very quickly after Jesus left. So there's almost an expectation that Jesus had just left for maybe a moment, but he'll be back at least within their lifetime to pronounce judgment to enact the Armageddon, to end the world as we know it. And Peter has good reason, I think, to want this, you know. I've talked to you before about how the disciples have been through everything with Jesus. This is their teacher. This is their friend. This is a person they broke bread with regularly. This is a person they went through all of life's trials and tribulations with. The ups and downs, they, they watched him as he was crucified. They watched him perform miracles. They've, they've done all of this with him, and they've been through this roller coaster of things. And now he's gone. And he went up into a cloud in heaven. They don't know what happened. They, they probably, these disciples are, are probably thinking, what is going on in the world? And I think Peter, chief among them, a leader among the disciples, is wondering, what do we do? Where are we going? What's next? You know, for him, he's left behind his job. He dropped his nets. He left his boat. He walked away to follow Jesus, and that was three or more years ago. So he, he's not just going to return to that. He's left family and friends behind. He's made new ones, of course, but he's left them behind. And now here he's followed this Messiah, at least who he thought was a Messiah, that has now gone away, and he's left alone in a world that is hostile toward him and those he loves, that's hostile toward what he believes. And he's hiding. They're all hiding in an upper room together, and they're praying, wondering what is going to happen. And they're stuck. And I can only imagine that for them, it feels not like God's about to change the world and all these great things are going to happen, but that time is winding itself down. And it's just a matter of moments before everything goes up in flames. And then there's this rushing wind that sort of enters the room where they're sitting. And it's so loud and it's so forceful that it pushes them out and they go out and all the disciples see that everyone's sort of been pushed out of their homes. They're gathered there in the streets, and they're looking around, and it's all these people from these different countries, and they're there actually for a festival, and they're, they're all supposed to be celebrating, and they, they're not supposed to know how each other talk, and suddenly they're hearing each other speak, and they're understanding. And this feels very supernatural and weird to them, as does this rushing, loud, and violent 
wind, and they're looking around, and they're wondering, what is going on? What is happening to the world? And they're wondering, these people already start drinking because <laughs> it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're, you're this drunk, you don't know what's, like, what is going on? There's all of this confusion, and into it, Peter, who must feel like he's at the end, who must be despaired, who must want Jesus to come and change all of the evil that he's watched take place. Peter stands up like he does, you know. And he says, listen guys, no one's drunk. <laughs> no one's been drinking. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But I can tell you what's happening. I can tell you what's going on. And he starts to name this situation. And I say like Peter does because Peter's the one that's a little overeager, a little anxious, a little too quick to jump into things and try something out. He's kind of the first failure at a lot of things, which I think you almost need someone with that boldness. But you'll remember the story. The disciples were in a storm on a ship, and they didn't know what was going to happen. They thought the ship was going to wreck, and this was going to be the end of their lives, and everything was coming to a close. And then Jesus starts walking on the water toward them. And he calms the wind and the waves. And Peter asks, I think, the way it's told, Lord, can I meet you? you know? And Jesus offers him to come out. And so Peter steps on the water. None of the other disciples are willing to do it. And he takes a couple steps, but he starts to sink. And Jesus has to help him up. This is the same Peter that stood up when Jesus was saying at the Last Supper, he's saying to everybody, hey, one of you is going to betray me. It's already happened. And in fact, most of you are going to betray me <laughs> before this night's over. And Peter stands up immediately and says, oh, no, 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 Lord. Not even if I was to lose my life would I betray you. Two hours later, he betrayed him and <laughs> was running away. This same Peter is the one that stands up when everyone is wondering what's going on and there's this loud blaring wind and there are these divided tongues of fire and everyone's understanding everyone's foreign language. He stands up and he starts to say, what is happening? He says, no, 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 no. This, this is what the prophets were talking about. This is what specifically the prophet Joel was talking about. It's the end of the world. This is what will happen in the final days. We've seen people have visions. Young women are prophesying. Young men are having visions. Old men are dreaming dreams. All of these things are happening, and Peter sees it going on, and he says, yes, this is what Joel was talking about. And you notice at the end of that little prophecy, he says, and now the sun will turn dark. The moon will go to blood. Seas will dry up. All of the devastating things that you can think of, that's what's going to happen next. And Peter has a choice right here. And I think it's a very serious choice that he has to make as a preacher, but also as a person. He has every right, I think, to blame humanity for its evil. He is a marginalized person that has likely suffered from oppression. 
his entire life. He has watched his friends and family oppressed, abused, enslaved. He has watched as his people have been made poorer and poorer and poorer by the policies of Rome over the years. He has every single right to be angry and to look at this crowd and say, and when the moon turns to blood and the sun goes dark and all of the fresh water goes bitter and this world starts to end, you remember this, you deserve it. You deserve it. Because you killed my friends who came to you from God, who announced himself as the Messiah, who showed you all the love and the grace in the world, who was not a threat to you at all, but you took as a threat and killed. You deserve this because you snuffed out the light of the world that came to save you. And I don't know if we could blame him if he stood up and preached that. But he doesn't. He keeps going just a little bit more in that verse in Joel. And I'm not sure that he knows what's happening. In fact, I know he doesn't know what's happening. I mean, he's, he's Peter. He's always making mistakes. He's completely, completely um, fallible and silly, ridiculous. But I think he's being bold again. And he keeps going on that verse, and he says, but, but, but even as all of this is happening, even as the sun begins to go dark and the moon turns to blood. But anyone who is willing to call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he keeps going. He's going to keep preaching and kind of make his point over and over to the point that the crowd is interested and they say, well, what can we do? And he says, well, you've got to repent and you've got to be baptized. You've got to step into this larger mind and then we wait to see what happens. And we know what happens. I mean, we're all sitting here today. The world didn't end. In fact, at the moment that Peter and probably a lot of people thought it was ending, it was really just changing. It was just reforming. God was just doing something new. The choice that Peter makes there that I, I, I want you to really, really think about is that in the moment where he is most scared, the moment where he is most vulnerable, the moment where he is so opened up and, and, and exposed to the world that he, he doesn't have any power, he doesn't have anything to offer, he can't do anything about a situation, he's hiding in a room waiting for some God to come and act and change things. He has nothing left, and what does he choose? Not hate, not anger, not rage, not any of that, he chooses to look at this crowd, many of whom are likely responsible for the death of Jesus on a cross. He looks at them with compassion and says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. He chooses compassion when most would not. He chooses love and grace when most of us would just want this other God to show up and get rid of it all, start over. What's the point?
know, that same day that I saw the person emptying what felt like all the trash in the world out of their car. I was driving home, I was on Coolidge, and I was coming down between nine and 10 mile by Oak Park High School, and there's this little old lady in one of those motorized scooters, and um, she's cruising down the sidewalk. I mean, she was, these things can really, really move. Um, and that, that's kind of what I noticed out of the corner of my eye. I was like, man, she is moving quick in that thing. And um, as quick as she was moving, suddenly she came to this, like, halting stop so that she, like, jerked forward like that. And she stopped, and she turned her head, and she kind of looks over to the left. And I look to where she was looking, and there's a little bit of trash, maybe, like, a cup, I think. It wasn't too much. She stops her scooter, and she unbuckles this little seatbelt that she has. And then she drops to her hands and her knees, and she crawls, I'd say, 10 feet to go pick up one piece of trash, maybe two. And then she crawls back to her seat and climbs up, no use of her legs, sits down, buckles her seatbelt, and goes cruising right back down the sidewalk. And that moment kind of broke me a little bit. <laughs> because everything I was feeling, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes prior <laughs> was just sort of upended. I thought, man, all that rage, all that pain, all that anger, all that frustration just melted away. Because one person chose grace, chose compassion, on the earth, chose to be inconvenienced by it, actually. She had to stop, she had to unbuckle her seatbelt, she had to crawl in front of, I mean, I was stuck in traffic at that point, so everyone in this line is watching, and she does it, and she picks it up, and she goes on her way. I think sometimes we can be pulled between two gods, even though we say we only believe in one. We can be pulled between the God that we want to come and set things right, whatever we mean by right. The God that's going to destroy the things that need to be destroyed and get rid of all of the bad things and, and do away with all of the bad people and just make everything peaceful and happy again. But then there's this other God. And it's the God that I think that Jesus sees, excuse me, that Peter sees in Jesus Christ. The God of love and grace that Peter is not quite sure is still existing, but hopes against hope is still alive and is still moving. This God that chooses compassion and love no matter what, even at the most vulnerable point, Remember, Jesus is being taken away. He's being arrested. He's betrayed by his friends at these points where he's most vulnerable at the Last Supper when he knows what's going to happen. He still chooses to love them by eating with them, dining with them, spending time with them, washing their feet, blessing them, and praying for them. And I think Peter is hoping against hope that that God does show up. And that God does. And the world's changed. 
And I say every year on Pentecost, you're sitting here today because of what happened that day, however it happened. And so I wonder as we go, when we're inundated with this endless news cycle of tragedy upon tragedy and conflict upon conflict that makes it seem as if the end might be pretty close or that we might need to start praying for Jesus to come. I wonder if in those moments, if we might remember that the power that Peter accessed on Pentecost, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that organized and formed the first church, the power that Jesus had to love and forgive those that is most vulnerable, that power is still available to you today. It's resting inside of your heart. And it's inviting you into relationship. And I pray we all might remember that even when we feel like we've hit rock bottom. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the power that you've poured out upon us. And God, I pray that we would use that power to spread love, and goodness and compassion to all the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.